0: Join me tonight for a two-hour special. It's all about the Tory party, the internal civil war. A list of resignations as long as your arm. A distinct possibility, perhaps about 50%, that Boris Johnson is forced to resign as Prime Minister this evening. We will debate and discuss with a variety of guests, can the Tory party be saved from electoral disaster. We'll look at this from all angles, we'll bring you breaking news as it happens over the course of the next two hours. Well, last night I made the point that it wasn't just Boris Johnson's career that was being dragged down, it was actually the whole reputation and brand of the Conservative Party and, indeed, the broader Conservative movement in this country. And I've been making the point to many of you who are still ardent Boris Johnson supporters that he's lost a third of those people that voted Conservative in December 2019. Well, overnight, some polling from YouGov proves me wrong, proves me very, very wide of the mark. Overnight, YouGov's figure is that 54% of those who voted Conservative in 2019 want him gone as Prime Minister. It is a combination of incompetence and, frankly, downright lies. There is no getting away from it that right throughout this Chris Pincher affair there have been untruths and outright lies told by many in senior positions in government. And you know, after Party Gate and so many other sagas, enough is enough. So I think we are, right now, very, very close to the end. It has resulted in a large number of resignations. Let's just go through. Let's just get a feel for the magnitude of what has happened in the last 48 hours. It began, of course, with Sajid Javid resigning. We then had Rishi Sunak resign. We then had Alex Chalk resigns. Yes, another one bites the dust. And we go on to Will Quince. Will Quince, who was sent out to do media on behalf of the government. And yes, with Will Quince this morning, another one bites the dust. And we go on to Robin Walker, to Victoria Atkins. To Joe Churchill, to Stuart Andrew, to Kemi Badnock, to Neil O'Brien. And if I kept going, even though we got a two hour special, a lot of the show would be gone because there are 28 more names to add to that list. It is a grand total of 38 people who've resigned from ministerial positions, from the government payroll that they were on in some form. I can't think of any historical precedent for it. I will be joined by David Starkey and we will talk about that. But I have to say this. What is going on behind that door in number 10 now must be something like the gunfight at the OK Corral. Because of course Nadine Dorries is there still flying the flag for Boris Johnson. But we are reliably informed that Priti Patel, Brandon Lewis, perhaps even the Chief Whip Chris Heaton-Harris and others are there to tell the Prime Minister that the game is up. He had a very tough time this afternoon appearing before the committee in the House of Commons, a difficult time during PMQs. For Johnson himself it will be a personal tragedy because all he ever wanted to be was Prime Minister. But I'm afraid, and I said it once before in this little talk and I'll say it again, a combination of incompetence and lies have done for him. Does he resign this evening? Well, I would still say there's a 50% chance that he does. I'll be with you till nine o'clock and we'll bring you all of the breaking news. And my thought for this, as I said to you last night, this doesn't have to be a disaster for the Conservative Party. It could be a real opportunity. It could be the chance for a reset. Can the Tories be saved from going over the electoral cliff at the next election? Let me know your thoughts. Farage at GB News. UK. Well, let's head straight to Downing Street, outside that door of number 10, and let's be joined by Darren McCaffrey, GB News's political editor. Darren.
1: Hello,
2: Nigel. Quite an incredible day, isn't it? I mean, I don't remember a day in politics like this, and we've had some pretty tumultuous days over the last six, seven years. Right now, I think I'm going to sense that some of the cabinet ministers who've been in talking to Boris Johnson may well be leaving. There are cars lining up here in Downing Street. Kit Malthus, policing minister, very... Very loyal to Boris Johnson recently has just left the Cabinet office, refusing to comment apart from saying it's been a very difficult day. But what we've seen today is a whole series of Cabinet Ministers trapes into number 10. We believe yeah. they've all spoken to the Prime Minister individually rather than as a collective. Some of them, most of them it appears, telling the Prime Minister frankly, the game is up, you need to go. Not least of all, because as you've rightly pointed out, all those resignations have got to a point. Where it's getting difficult for the government to actually function. There simply will not be enough Conservative MPs to fill those roles, rather extraordinarily. And yet, we believe, you can see some of the cars now pulling up, uh, as I say, outside Down Street. It'll get to the point where we believe Boris Johnson, though, is still refusing to budge, and where he is suggesting he may well want to still put this to a vote amongst at the Tory uh, parliamentary party, even though that looks frankly like he will lose. And the reason I say that, Graham Brady's also gone in quite recently, uh, I think to give what he called wise counsel, i.e. that it is clear today, given the numerous very public letters of no confidence of Boris Johnson, that he does not retain the support of the Conservative parliamentary party.
0: So, is this, Darren? Is this the 1990 moment? Is this like the moment when Thatcher went, when the Cabinet said they could no longer support her? Does this happen tonight, in your view?
2: You know what? I I would say more likely than not, yes. And that's something I thought pretty much since the start of today, given the sheer momentum we've seen behind it. In saying that, we are dealing. With Boris Johnson and he is someone I mean if this was almost any other leader they would have already gone by now is there a possibility he may well try and extend this out a little bit longer even though it will frankly be quite humiliating that is also entirely possible interestingly of course the 1922 committee decided not to change the rules uh, tonight in terms of the leadership vote because I think they thought well in the end he's going to be gone it's not going uh, to matter the next couple of hours will essentially decide things given that you've got potentially even Nadine Zahari and Michelle Dolan, two people who were appointed as Chancellor and Education Secretary by Boris Johnson less than 24 hours ago, and they are inside saying the game is up. I mean, how do you get through that? Maybe he'll try. (laughs) Maybe he does want to be literally dragged out, kicking and screaming. I mean, this is... I mean, the only parallel I can think is those rows over Gordon Brown after the election uh, when those around him were telling time is up. But yeah. you know, I think it will get to the point, as I say, where ministers are saying, cabinet ministers are saying, you know what, Prime Minister, this is not about you. This is about the fact that the government, at a time of economic crisis and at a time of a war in Europe, will not be able to function if you remain in charge.
0: Darren, don't move from that spot. Don't take a break. Stay there, and we'll come back to you as things develop over the course of the next hour or two. Thank you. Now, Tom Harwood is down on College Green. Tom, uh, one of our political correspondents. Tom, you are up to speed, I understand, with the goings on in the 1922 committee, which took place and closed about an hour ago. So, is it that they're about to re-elect a new committee that could force a leadership vote, or have they decided just to bide their time?
3: Well, it's a bit of both, Nigel. Some seismic decisions were taken uh, with the executive of the 1922 committee today. The smaller group, of course, elected by the backbench Conservative MPs, who can uh, at their own whim, with a simple majority of their own membership, change the rules of the Conservative Party. And what they decided today shocked many people, Nigel. They decided to change not the rules today, but the speed at which They elect the new committee. We were to wait until a week today, next Wednesday, for the new executive to be elected. That campaign has now been speeded up. We'll have a new committee by Monday. But because those elections are underway, nominations opened today amongst Conservative MPs, because that process is taking place today, now, they think it's wrong to change those rules while the elections are going on so the soonest the rules will be changed with regard to forcing another vote of no confidence, with regard to the parliamentary party getting rid of their party leader that cannot happen now until Monday at the earliest. I have to say, it's incredibly likely that on Monday that rule will be changed if the Prime Minister is not gone by then. So now the power has shifted, shifted from the building behind me to the building where Darren is. The power rests in the influence of those Cabinet Ministers and others who are visiting the Prime Minister this evening. And to be frank, it seems as though when it comes to the Prime Minister's position, it's not when he goes, it's not if he goes, but when he goes. And ultimately, that's a decision for him. Does he drag things out until Monday, when no doubt there'll be a rule change, or does he go slightly earlier?
0: And Sir Graham Brady going to 10 Downing Street tonight. Tom, perhaps a quite significant move.
3: Certainly. Sir Graham apparently, reportedly, going with the word of just how many letters he may well have received. The Prime Minister's spokesman was telling me earlier today that the Prime Minister believes he has the confidence of the majority of his party, despite the number of resignations that we had seen even at that point after Prime Minister's questions. Uh, but it, it's fairly clear that the Prime Minister does not have the confidence of the majority of his party. Were there to be a leadership ballot amongst the parliamentary party, the Prime Minister would likely lose it. And perhaps that is the message that Sir Graham Brady, the keeper of the letters, is going to tell Boris Johnson now. And I suppose the question is, who is the most influential person in all of these meetings that the Prime Minister is having this hour and, no doubt, over the next hours too? Will it be the chief whip who apparently has turned against the Prime Minister, Chris Heaton-Harris, appointed only recently to that in, in the attempt yeah. to shore up his operation, or would it be, or would it be other people? Perhaps the most influential person in the Prime Minister's ear this evening may well be his wife, Carrie Johnson.
0: Tom Harwood, thank you very much indeed for that. Well, one of the MPs that was very early in the game calling for Boris Johnson to go, a veteran Member of Parliament, someone who sat there since the days of Margaret Thatcher, somebody who saw the events of 1990. He stood up and said, in the name of God, go. His name, of course, is David Davis, former Brexit Secretary, Conservative Member of Parliament for Horton Price and Howden. Right. Uh, David, you were a bit ahead of the curve, weren't you, saying in the name of God, go? Well, y- and, yes. And, and rather unpopular with your colleagues. Oh, oh, look, so. I, I went into
4: the chamber that day knowing I'd make hundreds of enemies, you know, and, and so I did. Uh, but the, the point was that it seemed clear to me at that point that the prime minister had misled the house was unwilling to face up to that fact and was blaming his subordinates for it i mean i come from a very old-fashioned school uh, nigel you know I, I you know if you're an officer or you're a senior member of a corporation uh, or indeed you're a minister you don't blame your subordinates you shoulder the blame yourself and then deal with it
0: uh, properly, and he didn't do that. So uh, it seemed to me it was obvious. That that but was did okay. he get the big calls right? I mean, his his strongest supporters say that he got Brexit done, and we can argue how well it's yeah, been yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. But but, he's, but they say he got Brexit done. He faced up to the pandemic. He's shown global leadership over Ukraine. And they say, look, we know he's sloppy. We know he's messy. We know he's not always accurate. Mm. But that he gets the big calls right. How would you respond to that? Well, he gets some of them right. He doesn't get all of them right. I mean,
4: you know, he didn't get all the Brexit calls right. We're still struggling over Northern Ireland. Uh, now, I think he did, on balance, pretty well out of it. But nevertheless, some he got wrong. The same with COVID. I mean, we had too, in my view, too many lockdowns, too long, uh, too much damage to the economy, too much restriction of individual freedom. But uh, the it was partly for that reason that we waited so long. I mean, when I made my comments. In January, I started by saying I spent the last two months defending the Prime Minister mm. on the basis that he has delivered Brexit, on the basis that he has basically delivered the vaccine solution to, uh, to, to COVID. Uh, and that's why we gave him more slack than we would have given anybody else. But, Nigel, you know, there, there are rules in every game, right? And one of the rules in the House of Commons, it may sound very technical, but if the Prime Minister does not Tell the truth to the House knowingly does not tell the truth mm. to the House. Mm. That undermines our entire democracy. If we're, you know, if he's telling a fib every time he comes, we don't
0: know how well the country's run or not. How you know? would you respond, David, to the, the claim, the charge that the country voted for him? Now, I know we vote for MPs in constituencies, but yeah. it has, but it has become, become quite, quite presidential, presidential over yeah. the course yeah. of the last few yeah. decades. That the country voted for him, is it really right? For conservative MPs to remove him.
4: Well, there are, uh, firstly, uh, you're right. They vote for all of us, not not just for him. And we change leaders. We change Margaret Thatcher, as you pointed out. You know, she got a bigger majority yeah, than him yeah. way back when, and was removed. And you know, she hadn't misled the House. She was just removed because they thought her policies were wrong. And I, I, happen to, I happen to be on her side of that. But nevertheless, it's the right of MPs to do that. That's how we do it. That's point one. But point two is breaking the rules is an important thing. And remember, if he. If he doesn't get removed in the next few days, and he may not be, we don't actually know, then there'll be a Privileges Committee review. And again, it'll address this issue of telling the truth. Being elected prime minister is not uh, an allowance to do anything you like. It doesn't allow you to break the law and it doesn't allow you to break the rules of democracy. And that's, that's what we are trying to enforce
0: I'm getting David in my ear that the Times are reporting right now Hmm. that Priti Patel is telling the PM to go, along with Grant Shapps, Hmm. who just left number 10 a moment ago but didn't say anything, uh, and Michael Gove. The game's up, isn't it? I think it is. I mean, I think uh,
4: whether it's up in the next few days or the next few months... It could be the next few hours. It could be the next few hours. You know, whether, it, whether it's any of those, we don't know. But, uh, you know, he's not going to be there by Christmas. I'm pretty sure of that. He may not be there by Monday or, or tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, in a way, this is a bit of a replica of, of what happened with Margaret Thatcher. I mean, she wasn't actually thrown out by the party. She got the majority of votes. I know. Uh, but it was the... It was the, the, uh, men gray
0: suits, the men in grey suits, The men it was suits. in those yeah, days. Well, the,
4: the, the joke always was, you know, that the Chief Whip would go in with a pearl hand revolver and a bottle of whiskey. Yeah. And the joke was, in Margaret's case, she'd drink the whiskey and shoot the Chief Whip. <laughs> you know? well, yeah. In a way, that's more true of Boris. He's very, very thick-skinned. Yeah. But I think the, the, I think the one that would be the big difference is Graham Brady. Because our rules, for your, for your viewers, our rules are that you can only have one confidence vote a year. That's in order to yeah. enable...
0: Well, those rules can be changed and with a 22 th- committee change, and that's...
4: That's correct. And, and there are, there are rumours around, and it's just rumours, we don't yeah. know for sure, that we've got a lot of new letters in, possibly 40% of the party, mm. that they have been looking at changing the rules to allow that high level to trigger... And you vote even inside the year. And, that you know, of course, if you've got 40% letters, you're going to get 50% votes against at of least. Course. And he may be explaining that to the Prime Minister. And you know, if the Prime Minister's got any sense, he's then facing a choice between a comparatively
0: dignified exit and being thrown out on his yeah, ear. Yeah, quite right. Uh, and a Conservative Party, David, that puts up taxes, a Conservative Party that is big state, yeah. uh, a Conservative Party that is unrecognisable to many conservatives both old and new conservatives mm. I think in many many ways can it be saved between now and the next election from going over the electoral cliff can it be saved? Yeah I'm sure it can I mean look How? I walked round, I walked round Wakefield and
4: I got as many you know, du- during the, the, the by-election yep. I got as many people complaining that we're not conservative anymore, that this is not the party, let alone the Prime Minister, this is not the party. Vote for. So it's cut taxes straight away, I mean and I mean straight away, as soon as we possibly VAT can.
0: VAT or, or, or corporation tax or where well, you go Well I'd cut
4: corporation tax, it's not particularly popular. Because it's about to go up isn't it by 30%? And the, and the point about that is we've been promising this for some time, so there'll be a lot of corporations will be thinking well we won't invest in Britain, that's jobs, that's growth, the only way we're going to get through stagflation is with growth, you know, so there's that. I'd cut, I would cancel the uh, national insurance increases. Right now we, we've got a, an increase in allowance but we've also got an increase in rates. I'd cancel that. Uh, I'd, uh, uh, I'd, I'd take the VAT off of fuel. We said when we were going for Brexit we were going to, this would it allow us promise. to do... It the a, trouble with all your ideas is the budget deficit gets even bigger. Yeah, no it doesn't. Look, the first thing to say is this. We collected more money Right in the last year than we ever have in taxes than we ever have in, in, in running into a recession. This will create. This is what's creating the recession. Uh, the Treasury uh, uh, underestimated the amount of taxes collected by up to ninety billion, depending on which forecast you take. That's madness. You know, you know, you do not handle a recession by increasing taxes. Mm. And and the Treasury keeps saying, oh, if we put, if we cut taxes, it'll increase inflation. No, it won't. What economics textbook did that come out of? So we've got to hit all of those things quite hard, because that's the first central thing. But also, we've got to go back to actually meeting our manifesto undertakings, whether it's on immigration, whether it's on the size of the state, whether it's on the approach to a whole series of things. We have to start keeping our promises. And I
0: think a new leader could do that. David Davis, thank you very much indeed. Well, there was David Davis laying out what could be described as a conservative manifesto. Goodness gracious me, he's not a social democrat. No wonder he's not in Boris Johnson's cabinet. But I keep talking about 1990, and I talked about 1990 last night because I could see the parallels, two cabinet ministers resigning, uh, and clearly there is something going on behind those doors of number 10 as we speak that is in some ways similar to what happened in 1990. And, of course, it's very easy to live in the moment to think this is the most dramatic thing that has ever, ever happened in politics. But I wonder, perhaps a good thing for GB News viewers and listeners to get some sense of historical perspective because Boris Johnson is not the first Prime Minister ever to be in trouble with his party in Parliament or in the country and very pleased to be joined by historian David Starkey looking very like a 1940s BBC newsreader. On the country,
5: <laughs> if it had been a 1940s BBC newsreader I would have been wearing white tie well, rather
0: I, than well, slumming it I, in black. Perhaps well, yes, very 60s. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> David, good evening. Good evening. Uh, I made the point, Prime Minister's in trouble, there's nothing particularly new about that. But when you look at that list, I mean, I know a lot of them are PPS's but they're still, you know, on that government list, that third of Conservative MPs, 38, as we went to air, 38 resignations over the course of the last two days. I've been comparing this to 1990. Would that be right or not?
5: No, it's, it's much bigger uh, in the sense of numbers involved. I think also the sense of turning of mood in the House is it's much more like you know, Chamberlain Churchill. There is much more that sense of revulsion.
0: So that was that was the 1940 moment after the failure in Norway. Precisely. There is is that
5: sense that this has gone wrong. The trouble is there's no Churchill. There's also no sense of anybody with a serious alternative policy. And um, this is my fear. And uh, there's also, I think, something very different from 1940. Chamberlain was a man, you know, he's autistic, a man without very significant public presence. With Boris, I think there's a genuine sense of tragedy, but it's a tragic comedy. Here is somebody who was in many ways, so good, and yet equally so bad. he got exactly half the qualities you need of a prime minister. In other words, he's got. A degree of wit, he's got yes. a presence. You were making the point Charisma, about fake, fake. optimism, Oh, yes. the boosterism and yes. that. Yes. Yes. Unfortunately, there are two fatal flaws. David, David Davis was talking about untruthfulness, mm-hmm. and I, I fear I'm a bit of a cynic. I think the point is he conspicuously gets found out. <laughs> that, that's the problem. But yes, you need a measure of, as it were, A fundamental honesty. One of the problems, I think, is we've gone wrong by creating all of these civil servants who are supposedly in charge of, you know, morals and whatever. The way he was found out and the way he's been brought down, is being brought down, is the proper way through Parliament through the sense of... So, 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 his MP, so was, in, in a sense Scrutiny is working yeah, in that our, sense? Our, but, but not in the sense of you know, the Department of Propriety and Ethics, how completely preposterous. It's simply that his MPs have lost confidence in him, which is how a Prime Minister goes. A Prime Minister holds office by virtue of having the confidence of the Commons. He has manifestly lost it. So. This this shift the sh- there is with all this skill a fundamental shiftiness a slitheriness the greased piglet remark of David Cameron. But there's another it's a
0: great point. comment. was it? a
5: wonder- <laughs> it's the only thing Cameron will be remembered for. You know, an absolutely <laughs> negligible prime minister, but one good joke. I and mean, you know, very few of us get into a dictionary of quotations. He will. He get will in. With a- He will. I- but just one point. The Please. really big issue is that Boris is incompetent on detail. He is catastrophically incompetent. To begin with, he franchised his mind to Cummings. Cummings played the role of a kind of Thomas Cromwell. Mm. But the trouble is, our Prime Minister has got to be two things. People were saying you know, a, a few months ago, why doesn't Boris get somebody who sort of acts as a kind of CEO? Boris is a you know, very good chairman, but he needs a CEO, sorry. Our Prime Minister's got to be a CEO as well. Mm. You can't have a substitute. And you know why Churchill was so great, why Thatcher was so great. They got the big picture and they could deal with the small. That wonderful quality of Churchill, he can read a minute. He can read a document and fire off, you know, instantly. There's marvellous memos, action this day. Mm. He picks somebody up on grammar. This is the kind of English up with which I will not put. That sense of specific, (laughs) brilliant detail. Thatcher was exactly the same. She could read a document and she could read it once. She could remember the detail. I mean, can you imagine Thatcher or Churchill saying, I don't remember what the COVID regulations
0: are. Yes, or even, uh, I can't remember that I was warned about Mr. Pincher's behaviour. Just,
5: uh, it, it, I mean... Despite it, the fact he produced quite a good line. You yeah, know, yeah, you know, uh, pin, <laughs> "Pincher by name, Pincher by yeah, name. Which, which so he, he wouldn't answer. Yeah. Yeah.
0: David, yeah. I mean, I, you know, whether he goes tonight or whether it's next week he's or done. whatever it is, he's, he's done. done. I think we all know that, we can all see that. Will history be kind to him in one sense, that British politics was in a, a dreadful state for a series of years? I mean, I think the willful attempt by many in Parliament mm. to overturn led the referendum...
5: Led by the Speaker, led by
0: Burko. Burko and many others. Yeah. Um, it was a disgraceful period. Agreed. Um, Mrs May was humiliated in the European elections and went. I was pleased to you, be... I mean, you humiliated her, that. her. No, she no she I enjoyed it played, those, played well, a little, a little role in, but, in that. But, but, but Boris comes along. And will history be kind to him for at least, even if it's not perfect, getting Brexit done?
5: I think he, he cut the Gordian knot. He cut the Gordian knot by, of course, a general election victory that was on a scale and of a nature that nobody anticipated. And this, again, is, needs to be chalked up to him. Yes, I wrote about it at the time. He did what only really Disraeli did with the Tory party. That's to say he carries the prosperous South and the deprived North. And that's remarkable. But you see, then I think the big question to ask Nigel is, why did he do it? He did it fundamentally in the same way that Israeli did. People thought he was fundamentally patriotic and believed in Britain and believed in England, believed in our history, our sovereignty. Mm. People now don't believe that. And any new Tory leader who hopes to hold that North and yes, South, yes. the key to doing it is to be proud Of your country, that's the. In some ways, that's the only thing that links that that unites those different. That links those two things, and all this stuff about levelling up and whatever. That's. It's not completely beside the point, but it's largely beside the point. Essentially, it's a commitment to patriotism and a pride in your country. But that also involves an awful lot of other things that determines largely what you can and cannot
0: do. But that's the big picture. And
5: it's, it's that's a, the vision. A, a big picture and a vision, which has got to be conditioned by the British, by the English experience. You see, if he'd had that, he wouldn't have got into lockdown. Lockdown mm. was... Totally antithetical to our traditions. He's Chinese. The the remark I made at the beginning of the whole thing was, get a Chinese virus, finish with a Chinese society. And he succumbed. And the odd thing is, his instincts are usually right. He lacks the courage, the intelligence and the fundamental force of character to stick to his instincts. And therefore, he falls into terrible, terrible error. David
0: thank you for giving us a sense of long-term perspective on these dramatic events of the last 48 hours and have a very good dinner I'm sure. I'm, I mean,
5: it's not dinner. There's going to be enormous amounts of alcohol
0: before that. <laughs> I'm not quite sure which direction the toasts are going to go. <laughs> well have a good time. We will do. Well, it's a very dramatic evening. We don't quite know what's going on behind those doors in Number 10. I likened it earlier to gunfight at the OK Corral with Nadine Dorries leading the pro Boris side and others such as Priti Patel, we're now told, telling him he simply has to go. I asked earlier, I debated indeed with David Davis. Can the Tories be saved from going off the electoral cliff at the next election? Some of your responses. John says Penny Mordant would be the best choice for PM with a team made up of Lord Frost, Ben Wallace and some new talent from the backbenches. Sean says it's too little, too late. Even a new leader. It's done for the Tories. Shayna says, yes, if they start being conservative again, perish the thought. Tracy says, never again. And Titch says, with that load of lightweights, probably not. And I have to say, I did think one of the funniest things that Keir Starmer did today, he called it the charge of the lightweight brigade. And that was actually a very, very good line. Now, we've got Darren McCaffrey there in Downing Street, watching that door opening and closing, and if we get any big, significant news, we will go straight back there live. But I thought, amidst all this depressing doom and gloom and internal battles going on within the Conservative Party, one of the themes that I've covered ever since I started here on this show on the 19th of July last year, but indeed for a couple of years before that, was what was happening in the English Channel. I could see these numbers were going to explode, and indeed they have. I sense that overnight we might just have had the first – oh, Rwanda's failed, everything else has failed – but we may just have had a piece of good news overnight that may well significantly reduce the numbers. Now today there were five boats in, six boats in, 200 plus and one en route as we speak. But there's been a big series of arrests overnight that I think will slow What I'd thought in the next fortnight could be absolutely enormous with very good weather coming. GB News' Home Affairs and Security Editor, Mark White, has the full, and I believe, good news story for us.
6: Nigel, good evening. Any other day, and of course this would be leading the news bulletins, a very significant international operation in France, in Germany, in the Netherlands, in Belgium and in the UK, to round up. 39 people suspected of being uh, behind a people smuggling network. 50 separate raids on different properties. 135 of these small boats used to cross the English Channel were seized. 45 outboard motors. 1,200 life jackets were also seized. There is no doubt that this will disrupt the people traffickers' Uh, actions uh, and operations for a while because it's a disruption. They will have to try to source their boats from other locations and for a while at least it may impact. As you say, uh, there were a couple of hundred at least who crossed today but it will be interesting to see what the situation is in the days ahead. Now those who have been arrested uh, will appear in courts and those respective countries, including here in the UK, where six people were arrested uh, in the coming days. I spoke to Chris Fireman from the National Crime Agency who outlined to us just what exactly they believe this criminal network was involved in.
7: This group was responsible for um, sourcing small boats. And when I say small boats, actually they're getting bigger. They can take between 50 and 60 people. They were sourcing them from Turkey bringing them forward and storing them in Germany uh, in in warehouse type facilities and then they were calling them forward to France um, through Belgium or the Netherlands in order to supply the the traffickers on the beach who would then load them in the boats and uh, send them off in the direction of the UK.
0: Well, I have to say, Mark White, that's great report. Thank you very much indeed. And, you know, 105 boats, 39 arrests. I'm joined by Alp Menett from Migration Watch. Interesting, Alp, isn't it? Here's the National Crime Agency actually working in cooperation with authorities in Germany, the Netherlands, Belgium, and even France. I mean, this is quite a significant fight back, isn't it? I
8: think it is significant. More of the same is what I would say. If they've shown that they can actually work together on something like this, then I don't see why we shouldn't be working together with regard to the wider problem. These people who arrive on our shores in northern France, whatever, wherever they've come from, they haven't suddenly become illegal They have been illegal pretty much from the moment that they've entered the EU. It really is incumbent on all our colleagues, our friends on the other side of the channel, actually to work with us to address this problem at source. That is not what's happening. And whilst the news is... Exceptionally good, yeah. and, and I commend yeah. my former colleagues. And, and the National
0: Crime Agency and all of those Indeed. involved. Fantastic. Yes.
8: Fantastic. Very good, but this is not going to solve it. It will probably slow things down a little bit. Yeah, I mean,
0: this could be 10,000 fewer people that cross the channel, something like that.
8: Well, the, the only thing is, I suspect that there are those who are itching. To get their hands on the money that's there well, to be made. So
0: yeah, I mean what they're saying is that the average price of a crossing now is about three thousand euros ahead. I mean, we you know some pay much, much more than that. So yeah, I'm with you. Even if you give people life prison sentences, the potential financial reward of millions of euros a week more will take their place, won't they?
8: No, absolutely. They will take their place. And and I, I I've always said, and, and I think you've probably said the same thing, that there isn't one magic wand to fix Mm. this problem of people coming across the Channel. I'm afraid that there are all sorts of measures that need to be taken. The new legislation allows the government to do that. It really now takes political will to make sure that they're putting in place the sort of measures that are going to count. It's interesting
0: that you raise that, because when Boris Johnson became Prime Minister, this was a minute problem. A few hundred had crossed in 2018, slightly more crossed in 2019. It's during his premiership and, indeed, Pretty Patel's time at the Home Office that these numbers have exploded. Um, assuming this is the end of Boris Johnson, and I think it is very, very close, is it likely that whoever is the next Conservative leader... Uh, Could campaign hard on these issues that you care about, say?
8: Well, uh, if they decide that they're going to keep to their manifesto promises, then yes, I think whoever is going to take over, assuming that Boris Johnson does go, whoever takes over, I think what they must do is realise that people all over the country, not just in the Red Walls, but particularly in the Red Wall constituencies, want immigration addressed, want immigration both reduced. And both
0: legal and illegal.
8: Legal. The one thing that Boris Johnson has overseen is the whole loosening up of a system that actually could have worked
0: in yeah, the right well, direction. I tell you what, this issue is not going to go away. It will come back, but it's good out you joined us on a day when we celebrate, Pleasure. rarely, some good news on this story. Well, welcome back. I asked you earlier, can the Tories be saved from the electoral cliff at the next general election? Your reactions? Barry says no. Glenys says, I followed you, Nigel, and subscribed to UKIP, but I've lost respect for you due to you turning on Boris. Glenys, turning on Boris? I stood aside for him at the last general election. I got rid of Mrs May, which the Tory backbenchers weren't able to do at the time. I don't think Boris would even be there if I hadn't helped him on his way. And I wanted Glenys him to succeed. And yes, we've got Brexit, but it's nothing like the kind of Brexit that I wanted. So I haven't turned on him. I've just decided he's not the man that's going to deliver us a proper Brexit, control of our borders or many other things. Peter says, if Boris was doing his job correctly, he would have sacked Rishi Sunak and Saji Javid a long time ago, given the state of the economy and the NHS. Let's hope he can see clearly now and actually sack Priti Patel for the state of illegal immigration. Peter, I think we may have moved on uh, tonight from Boris Johnson sacking people, it seems to me. Grant, who's a Conservative councillor, says, I'm considering my association with the Conservative Party, and should Boris Johnson not announce his resignation quickly, I will be leaving the party. And finally, Anne says, I definitely would not vote for Rishi or Sajid or Fakir. Um, because they would apply to overturn Brexit. Andrew Bridgen, MP for North West Leicestershire, you were one of the first people really to you know, call for Boris to go, but like me you wanted him to win back in 2019. You know, I'd done what I'd done with the Brexit party, the Spartans had held out and thank goodness you did, otherwise the Brexit deal would have been significantly worse I think than it is today. It looks like you're pretty close to achieving your goal. I think Boris Johnson's
9: time in number 10 Downing Street is measured in hours now, possibly
0: days, but certainly not weeks. Yeah, but here's the point. Yeah, we had David Starkey sitting in that chair a few moments ago. Very and, smarty look looked too. Yeah, after to dinner, so I'm wearing good for him. We're only jealous. But Starkey made the point that Chamberlain, who was a decent man in many ways and tried to do the right thing, but didn't get it right. You know, when Chamberlain went, there was an obvious replacement, a giant figure, a figure who'd been a huge figure in the First World War and in the interwar years. You know, you're on the, uh, I mean, you are on the verge of ditching your most successful electoral leader since Margaret Thatcher, bar none. You haven't got a clue what comes next, have you? No, but we have a mechanism which has in
9: the past delivered leaders, and I think it will deliver a leader. Uh, the Parliamentary Party has its say. We whittle it down to two. Uh, and I have great confidence in our membership, I mean,
0: historically. But it only, hang on, hang on. The members only get a say in this... When it's down to two. Once you've whittled it down to two. So, but I'm asking you, is there anybody... The, the you,
9: Parliamentary can, Party has never been more Brexit-focused. Um, I think it's probably as right wing as it's ever been. So I've got confidence that we'll get the right to to the membership. Is it, is and it, it, and is it right thinking? <laughs> no, but it's been a strange parliament. I mean, the lot of the new intake have barely cut their teeth in the chamber because we had two years of, of Covid lockdowns. So we could get a leader. We, we could get a new PM. who's even worse than this one then. Um, that is always a risk. Uh, but I think we're in the position with Boris Johnson and questions over his integrity and leadership where it's no change, no chance, Nigel. I agree with you. Um, I I campaigned to get Nigel, uh, to to get um, Boris Johnson into number 10, to get him into the leadership of the Conservative Party. We had, he delivered an 80-seat majority. It's been whittled down a bit now. But, um, you know, he squandered that. I can't think of many Conservative policies over the last two and a half years that I can hang our, we can hang our hat on. I'm convinced if we get a Conservative leader with Conservative policies dealing with the major threats to um, our country, um, w- which are serious, both economic and uh, you know, geopolitical, um, that we will be rewarded by the electorate by being you, returned to government in two and a half years' Mayor, time. you've
0: been you've been in government, we've had a Conservative Prime Minister now for 12 years, and just looking at the way... You know, post-war politics has worked in Britain. After a long period of time, it tends to be time that the other party gets in. Well, I think if, that, that if you look, if you yeah. look at, at what's been happening in the government
9: over the last seven months, the total concentration of policy has not been on dealing with the big issues facing the country. It's about keeping Boris Johnson in Number 10. And if Labour had a leader and some policies anything like they'd be 20 points ahead. The
0: fact that they're not. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. So one, one thought here. Could Boris Johnson have one? is there one last throw of the, I, mean, I doubt it, but could there be, one last throw of the dice? Does he call a general election? We've already looked at that option.
9: Um, the Palace have said the, the scales principle would apply. It's only Boris Johnson who can't command a majority of MPs in the House of Commons. Another Conservative leader would be able to, in which case it would allow the palace to refuse a snap general
0: election. Now, we understand that the weekly audience with the Queen is taking place this evening by telephone. Whether that's today by coincidence, whether it was pre-planned, I simply don't know. Can the Conservative Party, I mean, at the the moment, you're headed, in my opinion, for a 1997-style wipeout. That's my view. You won't agree with that necessarily, but that's my view. We're not facing Tony Blair, it's Keir Starmer. Well, I get that, but the Liberal Democrats could win lots of seats from, from Surrey right the way through uh, to Land's End. Uh, there are lots of those red wall seats who, whilst they did vote for Boris, also voted against Jeremy Corbyn, who they saw as unpatriotic. Indeed. You know, there was brexhaustion. just please, can we end the agony? Yes. But I mean, we all felt it, you know, at the time.
9: There were Remainers saying, yes, let's get Brexit done. Just, just let's, let's
0: move on. Deliver it. Can the Tory party be saved electorally between now and the next election? They can, but we need
9: the right leader and we need to get on with it quickly and we need to deliver for the British people. They will reward us, um, but there are huge challenges out there around the world, threats to our way of life, but also the economic situation has got to be dealt with. And what would that entail? In, in, In the bridging world, what would that entail? Um, I, I think we've got to reverse the national insurance uh, increases. We've got to reduce corporation tax. That's, that is actually fiscal self-harm. We will not get more money in. Uh, we've got more money in dropping dropping the taxes. We've, we've got to create uh, a UK that uh, people want to invest in. And we've got to increase the prosperity of our, of our people. And that solves all the, the, the union problems. When we make the country... Prosperous, then people don't want to leave the union because why would you want to leave something that's, that's so successful? That's the best guarantee of, of keeping the union
0: together as well. Nadine Dorries has just left number 10. Uh, uh, what's been going on inside there tonight? Do you know? What's the gossip?
9: Well, I'm so disappointed that the 1922 committee did not change the rules this afternoon. You're running for office, yeah? Well, yes, and that election now will be Monday, so nominations close On Monday lunchtime. The election will be in in the evening. I'm hoping we'll get a slate uh, of candidates in who are minded to change the rules. We could change the rules and have the um, second confidence vote on Tuesday. I thought they would have changed the rules today even they were correct, they could have changed the rules. Clearly, they couldn't agree to that. That would have allowed Sir Graham Brady to go and see the Prime Minister this evening say, Prime Minister, either you resign tonight or first thing in the morning, or you're going to face a second uh, confidence vote. And there's
0: absolutely no way that he could ever but it, survive. It's always it. the case, Andrew. I mean, you had an opportunity to get rid of Theresa May in 2018. Yes. December 2018. You know, she'd come back. With that deal at Checkers, David Davis, who sat in that chair earlier, resigned as Brexit Secretary. Dragged Morris out, kicking Morris and screaming. Boris reluctantly had, gave, to go, had to go with him. Gave up the ministerial car a few days later. And it's odd because the Conservative Party has this reputation for being ruthless. Actually, it's gutless, isn't it? Really? Not really, because ultimately, well, you didn't get rid of it, did you?
9: M- M- Theresa May got a a better result in the confidence vote than Boris Johnson is, a percentage of the party supporting her. And six months later she was forced out by the threat of a rule change. Um, I think it's, you know, Boris knows the rules, that's how he became leader of the Conservative party. So why party. did the
0: 1922 committee, which met tonight, why did it decide to kick the can down the road? Do we, why do we not have a Conservative party with members of parliament, with courage and conviction, why are they all gutless careerists? I wouldn't say that. I'd be interested in the post-mortem. I I
9: did ask um, Sir Bernard Jenkin on the terrace after the 22. I said, why on earth haven't you changed the rules? Why? He said, because we're going to have the elections on Monday. The elections were planned for Wednesday, so I think what they've done is a compromise and said, we'll accelerate that process. That's effectively a vote on, on the Prime Minister. He can't win. He has lost... Lee Anderson, he's lost. uh, No Lee Anderson
0: Anderson did support him.
9: Absolutely. Last time round, 148 of you didn't. Jonathan Gullis is his biggest cheerleader in the chamber. He resigned yesterday. Uh, He's got no support left on the back benches. He's got some patronage with ministers. And I hate to say it, uh, you know, members of the cabinet who probably, I'm being generous, wouldn't get a job in another cabinet, and they're just hanging on.
0: Careerists, weak, gutless careerists. We need to put the country first, Nigel. You know that. <laughs> Knows that. I've been arguing that for a long, long time. Andrew, it looks like you've succeeded. It looks like your campaign succeeded. It looks like Boris Johnson is on the way out. Um, assuming that he does go in the next week or so. Is there anything nice you can say about him? Yes, I think history will be nicer to Boris um,
9: when we look back when we've got over 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 this the shock of, of, of how he'll leave, I think history will be, will be kind of. They'll look at Brexit, they'll look at get dealing with Covid, which are unprecedented uh, things. You know, one of those in a term of Parliament is, is quite considerable. He, he had two pretty much back-to-back, and then the, the war in Ukraine, where he set a, a good policy and, and led the way. But that, that just can't make up for his hum, human failings. And maybe there is another analogy between Boris Johnson and Winston Churchill, that they both... there were dragon slayers and when the dragon was slayed we didn't need the dragon slayer Boris is unsuitable for actually running a government. So is this with regret? Um, No because I know this is the right thing for for the country we can't carry on with Boris Johnson Um, it is one scandal after another he said he's not going to change I believe him he's telling the truth then you can't change well, Nigel. I can't change. No, We're the same age as Boris Johnson. Too late. It's all forty late, no. and, and nobody can. Uh, n- no, all nobody right. can beat political gravity. Even Boris Johnson, there's no way out of this for him. He has lost the support Andrew of the Conservative Party.
0: Thank you for joining me. So some senior cabinet ministers have been leaving the door of Number 10 Downing Street. Let's go straight there and speak to our political editor, Darren McCaffrey. Darren, what news do you have?
2: Uh, Quite significant developments in the last couple of moments, uh, Nigel. The reason I say that is that Number 10 are now making clear to all of us outside Downing Street that the Prime Minister is not going Mm. to resign tonight. He is digging in and he is not going to cave to those cabinet ministers, many of whom have gone in, as you say, in the last couple of hours to demand his resignation and suggest that they will resign. That he is not going to cave in to them. He's talked about his mandate from the British public. He's talked about the fact that the country should be focused, he says, on trying to tackle some of the big issues this summer rather than on a leadership contest. And he says a possible general election later on this year Instead, he seems determined to push this to a vote of confidence, a second vote of confidence. Now, given the fact that the 1922 committee, Nigel, didn't change the rules uh, tonight, that means that that is likely to happen at the start of next week, probably on Tuesday if the rules get changed on Monday, which now seems almost uh, certain under that new executive, but the Prime Minister is determined essentially to cling on inside Downing Street for another couple of days. I think a few interesting things to watch, and clearly this is a very dynamic situation in all of this, is how will the party react to that? Clearly many of them really want this to be over as soon as possible. They are deeply frustrated that this is being dragged out yet again by what they would say as a prime minister who should see the writing on the wall that it is over and he needs to go. But second of all, are we going to see these resignations? We've heard from briefings from Michael Gove's team, from Grant Schapp's team, from Simon Hart's team and others that they are prepared to resign if the prime minister does not go. Are we now going to see those resignations tonight or tomorrow? And if so, has the prime minister got the ability, frankly, to get people into place to replace those cabinet ministers. I mean, you could just choose any MP, but can he still attract talent yeah. to the cabinet? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, very quick, fast-moving uh, evening this evening. But the top line, frankly, is that that man inside, a bit like Gordon Brown back in 2009, sorry 2010, is saying he, at the time, at the moment, time being, is not going anywhere, and he wants. To be he's not at, budging. Okay. by the parliamentary party, if that's what it comes to.
0: Yeah, yeah. Darren, thank you very much indeed for that briefing. Well, I'm joined by Philip Blond, former advisor to David Cameron, now director of Race Publica think tank. So the, the up to date news is he's digging in, he ain't going to go. And even though we know that pretty Patel. And we're pretty sure that Michael Gove and uh, Grant Shapps and others have said go. Um, he's kind of saying, I've got a mandate from the public. So he's, he's basically saying that he will drag this out until a total humiliation next week where he's kicked out by his own party. Uh, who's advising him? for?
1: Well, nobody. I mean, this is part of the problem. I think the only person who genuinely advised him throughout his entire premiership was Dominic Cummings. And I think after Cummings' fallout, he's essentially been without advice. And I think, I think the greatest... Well, there's always favorite- Mrs.
0: Johnson, of course.
1: Well, you know, that's fair, fair enough in the sense that, that there's always going to be advice. But he never developed a philosophy. I know this sounds abstract and odd, but we can't overestimate the new settlement he had. The majority, Labour voters moving to him en masse in, in previously safe seats, this was, you know, a Disraeli moment. This was, mm. this was the moment to reinvent conservatism. And we've spoken before, you and I, about yeah. a conservatism that genuinely transforms the lives of the left behind. A conservatism for the poor. I've long argued for, that the, work, the Conservative Party should become a party uh, for, for the working man. And, um, and they've squandered it. No policies, no ideas, no direction, no philosophy. And instead, what we've got is recycled versions of the 1980s. Now, that worked very well for a lot of people down south, but it didn't work for anybody in the north.
0: And it was 40 years ago.
1: And it was 40 years ago. And so what we face now is we had a government that had no ideology and just couldn't be bothered to develop one. And on this watch, we have a police service that doesn't work, a state that is dysfunctional in almost all aspects, an NHS that's falling apart, separatism uh, in our own country, one of the greatest countries in the world, could fragment. We have a series of problems that nobody is prepared to face I mean, What you're
0: really saying is he's been a disaster. I
1: think that we – the disaster, in my view, extends right back to every Conservative Premier since 2010. Including, uh, the,
0: including the one that you advised?
1: Uh, well, you know, advisers can only advise. Osborne, in many <laughs> ways um, – created the conditions for the failure of the state that, that we see now. There was never any serious programme of public investment and public ref- reform. All we ever wanted was a, a state that delivered more on less. And what we've got instead is a state that's completely dysfunctional. And for people who only have the state, who don't have private resources, this means appalling education for their children, uh, Levels of ill health that is 20, 30 years longer Six than the Six and a half
0: million on the waiting list now for procedures Six, yeah. of some kind in so England and Wales. Yeah.
1: So we have a dysfunctional settlement and nobody prepared to tackle the really big crisis in our country on any number of levels. So is
0: that? I mean, I was arguing last yeah. night. I was arguing last night. I've been writing today mm-hmm. and, and broadcasting today. And the point I'm trying to make to, to people who are more inclined to be conservatives mm-hmm. than perhaps Labour is that far from this being a disaster it's time to say thank you Mr Johnson for what happened in 2019 you know David Starkey sat in that chair mm-hmm. an hour ago and said he cut the Gordian knot on mm-hmm. Brexit i mean, let's give him credit yeah. for all of that but is this maybe not an opportunity for the Conservatives over the course of the summer to have a proper debate about where the party goes and how it's led
1: but here's, here's kind of where we should have our discussion Everybody who's on your programme, well not everybody, many who are on your programme say we want to return to real conservatism. But that real conservatism is just the offer from the 1980s. It never delivered for people in the Red Wall. The reason why people in the Red Wall voted Labour in droves for 40 years is because what was on offer wouldn't transform them. We don't seem to have anybody in the party who's prepared to do what Disraeli did and reinvent So just cutting taxes...
0: Just cutting taxes isn't enough, is your point.
1: Just cutting taxes isn't enough because it will... We're not reinventing the state to make it work for, for people for whom it's never worked. We're not reinventing education. Class is still the biggest barrier in our country. Mm. We are like... We think we're different from India. But in India, they have caste. In Britain, we have class. And class is dictated by, by place. And in Britain, still, the biggest predictor of your outcome is the postcode where you're born and your mother's level of education. So we have inequalities that exact a penalty on working class people of uh, 20 years of ill health compared for a woman in, in Blackpool and a similar woman and in Richmond. The figures are stunning.
0: The figures and, are f-
1: horrible. And you, jo- you go to, to, to parts of our country, and it's another country. And they voted Conservative in the hope that we would have an, an emancipation, a transformation for, of life for people in these constituencies. And what worries me... Is that we have nobody in the party who's able to offer them a policy change that will transform their lives. What we're likely to get is delivery for people who live in the south and who are successful. In which case, in which, which case, anymore. they'll lose the next election. They will lose the next election precisely because, as you were saying, saying earlier to Andrew, the people in the south. We've lost the middle classes. Because conservatives are not idealistic. Middle class people in our country are idealistic. And they've been captured by a perverted idealism of progressivism and leftism. And we've lost the middle classes. And we, if we were going to win, we would have to double down and deliver for the working classes. So then we could say to the middle classes, look, if you really care about the poor, we're delivering for them, you should vote for us. That's the triangulation that no conservative... Uh, leader or mind in the parliamentary party has been equal to making, and that is the the demand we must make of the next Conservative leader. But I fear they're not up to it, and therefore I fear the majority
0: will well, dissipate. So it we'll right? was Keir
1: Starmer right, or worse. <laughs> really will have the SNP.
0: Was he <laughs> was he right when he said charge of the lightweight brigade earlier on today?
1: It's charge of the unthinking, really. Uh, well, and that's...
0: Philip, you present... That's it. Philip Blond, you present a huge challenge for the Conservative Party, but I suspect you're right if they're going to keep together that vote in the Red Wall. Thank you. Thank you, Nigel. For joining us this evening. Well, that's the news. Boris Johnson digging in. He ain't going to go. He'll have to be forced out. He'll have to be He'll have to be publicly humiliated by his own party next week. And that, I think, is going to prove to be just a very, very sad end. Because it all began with such amazing hope. And we want to credit him with getting Brexit done, even though it's not a very good Brexit deal. But that looks to me to be the way we're going. And the 92 Committee next week, I've no doubt, will change their rules. Now, I've been looking at this and studying the numbers on this, but probably not quite as much as the next man. But I've been looking at sort of a third of Conservative 2019 voters who don't like Boris, think he should go. But there was some polling out overnight suggesting actually over half of Conservative voters thought the PM should go, the party should change its leader. They're stunning figures. Well, Chris Curtis, head of political polling at Opinion, joins me. Chris, these figures have shifted very fast, haven't they? Yeah, over the past week. So Um, is it literally, I mean, am I right in saying over half of 2019 Conservative voters? want Johnson to go.
10: Yeah that's basically it Um, and that as you were sort of alluding to there wasn't the case before. This is a shift we've seen happen because of the news stories of the past week. It was around a third of Conservative 19 voters who wanted him to go now it's a majority. We've seen the Prime Minister tonight apparently being unmovable saying he isn't going anywhere and the key reason that he's saying he isn't going anywhere is because 14 million people voted Mm, for him in mm, 2019. mm, mm. The thing is about seven and a half of those 14 million now think he should resign and actually it's those cabinet ministers who are asking him to resign, who are doing what a majority of those 14 million Conservative well, he's, voters want, he's not
0: Boris Johnson. He's virtually a squatter now, then, isn't he, number 10, if we think of it in those terms. Isn't it interesting? I mean, clearly, the allegations against Chris Pincher that go back for many, many years, and it all reeks of entitlement, it all reeks of being able to get away with it, it, it all reeks of abusive behaviour. But of itself, it's one, you, know, you could argue, yeah. it's one bad apple. And there's one bad apple everywhere you go in life. What is it about Pinchergate that has led to this rapid shift in public opinion on Boris Johnson? I,
10: I, th- I think it's the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. Ultimately, it's the straw that broke the camel's back when it comes to Conservative Party MPs. Look, there's, there's only so long you can go on with sort of scandal after scandal after scandal before people eventually turn around and go, you're too busy dealing with scandals and you're not busy enough running the you're country. You're not running the country. And I think, you know, the Cabinet, Conservative MPs, voters to a certain extent, um, have turned around this week and have decided that we we're, we're basically basically past that breaking point.
0: What could we expect to see... I mean, in rough terms, vague terms perhaps, what can we expect to see in the next set of general election opinion polls? What sort of lead do you think Labour might be on there?
10: Oh, I mean, I think that we'll start to see polls which show double digit Labour leads. Um, You know, the kind, yeah, we'd be in the territory, I think, yeah. Mostly opinion polls over the past few months have been showing. Labour leads that would mean a hung parliament. I think it's not unreasonable now that in the the coming weeks, most opinion polls or a lot of opinion polls will probably show Labour leads that would put Keir Starmer Downing Street. the the Conservatives back
0: down at 29 30%, that sort of number.
10: That kind of thing as well. And here's another stat that I'm going to be looking out for over the next days, which is how far Boris Johnson's approval ratings fall. There may be a point over the next week when we're going... Boris Johnson, he's now less popular than Jeremy Corbyn was when he won that general election in 2019. Mm. We're really not far far away from that, that being the case anymore.
0: Chris Curtis, keep close to us, keep in touch. Let us know of big developments. And thank you okay. very much indeed for coming in. <laughs> Well, one of the issues we talked about last night, indeed, with Liam Halligan, GB News's economics editor, was what was happening to the pound sterling. And the pound sterling has been falling quite sharply over the course of the last few weeks. One of the reasons, of course, for that is that the governor of the Bank of England is saying we're going to have it worse than anybody. Our inflation will be worse than any of our main competitors uh, and our recession will last for longer than theirs. But one of the other aspects of this is really interesting. The dollar is strong, not just against the pound, but it's at a 20-year high against the euro. Folks, let me give you a clue why this is going on. America is self-sufficient in energy. Much of Europe has made itself wholly dependent upon Putin's Russia, and we import about half of our gas far more than we need to. So the effect... Of Energy, the worries about further energy shocks, some banks are saying don 't worry with the recession, oil will fall back to seventy bucks a barrel. JP Morgan this week warned oil could go to three hundred and eighty dollars a barrel, so you pays your money, you takes your choice. but two stories this week that I thought were worth us talking about because perhaps and I think it is inevitable that Boris will go whenever we have the next contest for Tory leader, energy policy is going to be very, very high on the agenda. Two stories that I found completely astonishing. One was the front page of the Sunday Telegraph business that barely got a mention elsewhere, which was factories are told to prepare for gas rationing this winter. And the story in Build yesterday that a tenement block in Hamburg with 600 residents have been told hot water is only available to them for one hour a day. Leading to the headline, it wasn't even as bad as this after World War II in 1945. Well, joining us is a friend of the programme. We've discussed this more than once. Clive Moffat. Clive, energy. Yes. You've been warning about it for a very, very long time. That German story is extraordinary, isn't it? It is. It is indeed. I mean, no hot water. No, yeah. No hot water, but our companies actively being warned that mm-hmm. gas rationing could be coming That's right. this winter. Uh, Putin, well, we can speculate, but Putin perhaps going to take control of the whole of Donbass. It looks that way. Yes. And as the rhetoric of the West yes. rises up a few more notches, I mean, all he has to do surely is just turn down that tap a little bit. We could be in very real trouble, couldn't we?
11: Yes, I think since we last spoke about this issue, which was several weeks... I mean, uh, even months ago, com- I think. A-
0: at least two months back, yeah.
11: Um, what I was warning about the possibility of energy rationing... Yes. Has, ..has become a probability rather than a possibility. And I think Bay's government are beginning to realise that and are now floundering around to see what can be done to try and mitigate the impact both on business and the consumers... Um, We are, as you say, why are we in this situation? We are dependent on gas, natural gas for heat and power, a lot of it. And we are also dependent on imports of it, particularly in the short term on LNG shipments. And everything that you've read in the last few weeks is all contributed to the fact that the LNG market is going to get tighter and that there will be a scramble for LNG. Uh, particularly from the likes of Germany and also uh, throughout the Western yeah. Europe. We've yeah. got an issue with Norway and supplies to Europe as well. So the, the, the situation is that in, that in that position, we are faced with potential rationing. What we need right now is an energy security contingency plan. In my view. And
0: that would mean storage and things like this, which we've basically... There are four get it, things, yeah. we get it, Please, outline the four things that yeah. need to be done. Because I think is, there are four th- things this that is need now, to be done. As, as we face, we're midsummer now, but as we face towards autumn and winter, this could become yeah. the most important issue. Yeah.
11: But it's first of all, worthwhile making a point that it's not just the invasion of Ukraine why we're in this. We're all we're in this years back because of the decarbonisation programme and the rush for green energy and the marginalisation of gas which meant nothing could be done to underpin gas investment of any kind. But that aside, we've got a situation where um, we need to do four things. The first thing is there's been talk with, between Centrica and government about reactivating the rough gas storage facility. That deal needs to be done quickly. Centrica have said that it could be ready within three, or two, three to four months. I don't know what the technological issues are because it's been closed for some four years. Mm-hmm. But that needs to come. If that comes online, what they would need is some form of guaranteed financial return from government to compensate for actually the cost of actually okay, getting so it back in- online. So increased storage. But it's not a big deal at the end of the day. What does it give us? We have two days of storage across the whole country at That's the moment. We're, we're going to get nine days if we get. It. But it's something. Yeah. All right. The other thing that needs to be done is that um, people don't know this, but. The national grid has responsibility for keeping the lights on, but it does not have the same responsibility for matching demand and supply short-term in gas. So if the market's short, basically their only reaction to that uh, is to simply blanket curtail supply to industry, which is the first line of... Hence um, hence
0: the warning that's been going out. Hence
11: the warning that's gone out. My view is that three years ago... I took a delegation of the gas security group to National Grid and said, look, this is likely to happen. This is a possibility. So why don't we set up a demand-side reduction scheme which has a financial option incentive built into it which would allow you to know in advance how much of industry we're prepared okay. to voluntary curtail. Um, that scheme, I think, should be put in place. Second point is an uh, issue relating to um, keeping the lights on. Uh, the government needs to make available capacity payments to ensure that mothballed and existing gas and coal plant can come on stream on demand when required. Okay, yep. In, a di- in a, that would include the 30 gigawatt of small-scale power which is in diesel, fired by diesel and gas, which sits outside the transmission network, but is close to uh, communities, which can be
0: turned on. And, Clive, final point, because time is short. Right, and the
11: final point is that we need an education programme. We need to let people know and businesses know what practical and sensible things they could do to conserve energy, both electricity and gas, in the next 6 to 12 months.
0: Clive Moffat, as ever knowledgeable brilliant analysis you've been ringing alarm bells no one was listening but they're beginning to I Point think. Point is
11: now Nigel is that we've got a situation where we could enter a period as you know of policy paralysis. Yeah. And my fear my big fear not only mine but other people well, in the industry is we stumble into winter
0: but it, could, not be a, but it could be an opportunity. It could well be. It could be an opportunity. needs
11: leadership. I know. I know. I'm well aware (laughs) of that,
0: Clive. Thank you. Well, let's cross live over to College Green. I'm joined by Jim Shannon, MP, DUP member for Strangford in Northern Ireland. And, Jim, um, I know the whole Brexit process has been very difficult for unionist MPs and Boris Johnson has not been your favourite man. Uh, What would you like to see happen now, Jim? Mm Mm-hmm.
12: Um, I'm always very conscious, Nigel. First of all, uh, nice to hear your voice. And um, I, I suppose we don't have any say in this matter. That's the fact of the matter. Uh, the Conservatives were the ones that make the decision. They're making it now. Um, how does this change from the, the last vote of confidence? I think it's a major change uh, if we look at the figures. Um, 38 of the MPs who have resigned were on the payroll, and we all know that the payroll staff uh, endorsed them. Um, Boris's uh, uh, um, Prime Ministership the last time round the leadership of the party. This time, 38 have resigned. So that number, I think, uh, changes the, the whole uh, mathematics of the case. Ever mindful that we don't have a say in this matter and it's not our decision. But I think uh, looking from the outside in, observationally, uh, it seems like Boris is... Uh, um, and, and if it's true, if it's true that uh, some of the senior cabinet members yep. have asked him to reconsider his position, uh, and that seems to be the case, including I understand, uh, at least it's rumoured anyway, the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, who has been a very, very loyal supporter to him. I, I think the the, the, the mathematics the, the, uh, of the case are changing, and will change the, the outcome and the final decision.
0: Well, Jim, Jim, let's let's assume that's right. Who would you? Who would you, as the DUP, like to see as the next Prime Minister? Who do you think, as the DUP, can deal with the protocol issue? Uh,
12: I, think, I think we probably should put on record that you're absolutely right. Uh, uh, Nigel uh, Boris has not been our favourite Jim. child uh, over the last three years. He's told us things, and and, and and you know that I know that he hasn't delivered. But uh, in fairness, Jim, over Jim, this last uh, you? Uh, six Jim? weeks.
0: Jim, can I stop you? Yeah. Can I stop you, Jim? I'm sorry. Uh We're just getting news through. This is coming out through the BBC that Brandon Lewis has resigned as Northern Ireland Secretary. Just just would like a quick reaction, Jim, from you to that news, please.
12: Well, I think that endorses a comment that I've just made there, Nigel, uh, that I understand that the Secretary of State uh, was unhappy as well. That's now been confirmed. If he's resigned, then I think the the emphasis now and the momentum is building uh, for the Prime Minister to reconsider his position. He's not the only uh, minister uh, who uh, uh, has now resigned. Uh, There are others in the pipeline. Um, I I must say that I had a good working relationship with Brandon Lewis. Mm. Um, He, along with the Prime Minister, was quite uh, uh, pursuant of our position, in relation to the Northern Ireland Protocol, um, if he's out uh, and, and shortly it could well be the Prime Minister himself, yeah. uh, then then the, the people that may take his place. That's what I want to talk about. Um, there was a commitment uh, from from uh, Boris to to putting the union back to the way it was pre-Brexit, uh, which meant that Northern Ireland was an integral part of the United Kingdom. Who can carry that on? Well, who's the real unionist uh, that, that are in the shortlist? Uh, pr- probably has to be uh, Ben Wallace. Uh, certainly, I think Penny Merdant would, would somewhere feature in that. And probably Liz Trust. My discussions that, that we have had, and we had a, a briefing of the Northern Ireland Protocol about three weeks ago, Nigel and, and Liz Truss did that, she was quite positive yeah. in relation to her delivery of the Northern Ireland Protocol in its entirety. I, I okay. know that's something that you wish to see as well when you, okay. when you were involved, and, and I certainly do, so probably those three, some of those three, yeah.
0: OK, Jim Shannon, thank you very much indeed. OK. Now, it's not just been the usual suspects. It's not just being the Andrew Bridgins and co who've been raising their voices over the course of the last 48 hours. Some really rather loyal uh, supporters of Boris Johnson, including the MP for North Somerset, Dr Liam, the Right Honourable Dr Liam Fox. Liam, I'm looking at your letter here and you make it, you know, very, very clear that you've never been, you know, you've always wanted Boris to do well and supported him, but you kind of say in this letter with a, with a heavy heart. With a heavy heart, I am today withdrawing my support from you as I no longer have confidence in you as leader. I urge you to do the right
13: thing and resign. Was that a difficult letter to write? Yes. I mean, I've, I've, I've supported every Conservative leader since I was elected in 1992. I always want the party to succeed because I think the Conservative Party at its best is always good for the United Kingdom. I just no longer believe that it's true of Boris Johnson's leadership. And, and really for, for three reasons, Nigel. One is he, he committed a, a major error when he became Prime Minister. He had a cabinet composed only of people who voted for him. I don't know any Prime Minister yeah. before I don't, of, 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 of any party who only did that. And it created a kind of us and them from the very beginning, almost a party within a party reinforced in the last few days by... Is that because, just quickly to interrupt you, is that because he doesn't like being challenged? I I think it's it's a sort of winner-takes-all mentality, which just doesn't work in politics, especially not in the Tory party, because the Tory party, at its best, is a broad coalition. I've always said we avoid external coalitions by maintaining an internal one. (laughs) Um, uh, And at our best, that's who we are. The second problem is, is the dissembling that we've had recently, where ministers can't go out and give an interview because they find by the time they get home that the line has changed. You know, we, or, or that it just simply wasn't true. Or, or, or that it wasn't true, but, but it has changed. And that's, that's really difficult for ministers because, you know, having done, done that for a number mm. of years uh, myself and, uh, and having been party chairman, where you, you are the minister for the Today programme, as it were. Mm. Uh, and if you don't have the faith that what you're being told is true, uh, then it's very difficult to have the confidence to go out and do it again. The third reason is, is policy. And as, as I intimated in my letter, um, the recent tendency towards uh, protectionism for me is... Steal ag- tariffs. It's against my entire DNA as a Conservative. I'm a free market, free trade. High taxes. Uh, we've got our spending is too high, Big our state. taxes are too high. Our debt interest payments are too high. We should not be spending money that we don't have. We should not be borrowing money to pay for spending that we can't afford. Uh, and I want to see a much more fiscally conservative, mm. free market, free trade conservative party. That, that's who I am. Now, uh, you might legitimately say, so why did you not uh, uh, rebel, as it were, before this? Because I always thought that we might change course, even after the confidence vote I thought that Boris might actually recognise. And you supported him in that vote? Well, yeah, I've supported him all, yeah, all the way yeah. through. Just, 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 and, just to be clear. And, yeah. and, 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 and for me this is, as you said, it's not an easy thing to do when you've been a die-hard party loyalist, but mm. there comes a point when the interests of the country must take precedence um, over party interests. It's pretty clear, looking at it, Liam,
0: that you know, there's now a majority. Of MPs against him, big majority, him. big majority. You know, 38 resignations, yep. um, etc. And yet he can't go with dignity. He's digging in tonight. He's saying he'd rather be he'd rather be humiliated next week by the parliamentary party than
13: go with dignity mm-hmm. tonight. It's not a good look, is it? And it's not good for the Conservative brand N- either. It, it's not. And as I remember once saying to John Berko. Um, when 650 other politicians think you're being egocentric. Boy, do you have a problem. <laughs> um, and I, I'm afraid this is a, a, it's a sad example of, of where people just can't recognise when the position has become untenable. We've all been in in politics and uh, in in positions where, you know, this is it. You know, I remember 1997 thinking, however good our management of the economy is, it's over, we're going to lose the election. And you have have to accept these things when they happen. And and, and I think that Boris needs to recognise that this is the end. It's over. He either goes with dignity, yes. which I think is best for him. Yes, so Because, I. because, because we're, so ta- I. we're talking about real people here yeah. who have real feelings helps and, and will have to live with it in the end. Helps his
0: historical legacy exactly. of what he achieved. Liam, yeah. I agree with that completely. However, you are going to lose the next election, aren't you?
13: No, we've got uh, two and a half years before the next election. Right. We're, we're mid-term. Well, who's going to turn that round? Well, I think, it's, I think what's key is that um, the next party leader... Is not about personality; it's about policy. Now it's an old. You, you and I would agree I mean, on that. It, you, you and I both know that personality has
0: always been central in politics, and that today, with twenty-four hour media and social media, yes, of course, the policy is vital, but it needs yeah. personality too, doesn't yeah, it? They're not mutually exclusive. Otherwise, of course. otherwise, otherwise. If Labour was led by a big charisma figure,
13: they'd be 20 points ahead already, wouldn't yeah, Well, they? they have got neither. They have got neither personality <laughs> nor policy. So they've got a double disadvantage. We've got the advantage of an 80-seat majority. Yep. We can still make change happen in the right directions. We can still create what I would like to see as a much more free market United Kingdom. And yet I find myself now, two and a half years after the last election, with the imposition of the tariffs that you mentioned, uh, in a less liberal position than the <coughs> European Union that we left which is bizarre. How does that happen? No, it's utterly bizarre. What about,
0: Liam, the millions of people that came for Brexit, the millions of people that left the Labour Party and they came through UKIP and they've all finished up voting for Boris Johnson. How does a Conservative government, in the course of the next two and a half years, particularly given Uh the cost of living crisis, which is very, very real, how Does the Conservative Party help those people? Because, frankly, when I hear Michael Gove talk
13: about levelling up, I'm not not even sure what it means. Well, for me, levelling up is what we used to call meritocracy and Mm. opportunity. Mm. And the difference between socialism and conservatism being that we believe in equal access to opportunity. They believe in equality of outcome. Very different. But I think the the, the question you mentioned on Brexit, there's always been a tension because there were always two tribes inside the Leave campaign. There were the little Englanders who didn't like the EU because it was foreign and all they wanted was to transfer all under a Union flag and they didn't necessarily want to undo the European Union legislation and its extremely uh, uh, restrictive and regulatory functions. The, the second group was what I would call the globalists who didn't like the European Union because it wasn't foreign enough and it was restricting Britain's horizons. For the first group Brexit was the end point. For the second group, Brexit was the starting point. And I want to see a Britain outside the European (coughs) Union taking advantage of its freedoms, uh, helping to shape the global institutions in a way that's in our image. I think actually,
0: Liam, there were different reasons for voting Remain and different reasons for voting Brexit. I'm not sure I completely agree with with your analysis, but it doesn't matter. The fact is, Brexiteers thought a new dawn was coming for British politics. Uh They hoped and believed a new dawn Uh was coming. And thus far it hasn't happened. Do you think there is within the ranks of the Conservative Party, be it in Cabinet, although we don't know who's in Cabinet at this moment in time, be it in Cabinet or on the back benches, is there there someone with that talent who can do something remarkable? Not just for the party, but for the country.
13: Yes, I do, and I think that the difference has got to be that next time we look for a team, we have a team approach that builds on our strengths, but it has to be not a single personality that that dominates everything, but... uh, but an intellectual team that understands what needs to be done, builds on the best of conservative principles on, on free markets, on free trade, on, on uh, international rule of law and so on, hu- on democracy, human rights, all the things that, that a generation ago I took as first principles mm. but seem to have dissolved away. Um, yeah. I, I, want, I want... Well you were a conservative party in those days. I want my conservatism Just a little darker blue. Okay, Liam
0: Fox, thank you for coming in and sharing your thoughts on all of this with us. Thank you very much indeed. Now, earlier on today, Keith Bays, who works as part of our team, after PMQs, was down on College Green voxing various MPs, mostly Conservatives, and this was their mood at midday today.
6: Of course. I think it's the the right thing to do and he needs to do it immediately. you, You can't have a situation where... Let's be honest about it. You can't have a situation where you have a prime minister whose word can't be trusted. And it isn't just in Parliament; it's in the country overall, and it's internationally as well. He brings down the whole political system as a result of his lying. Well,
3: I'm afraid I have said that before, of course, and things have then only worsened since then. And uh, I'm afraid it is it is now time. I think we're beyond uh, we're beyond trying to find reasons
4: to just keep plugging on a bit. Last two and a half years the Prime Minister's got Brexit done. People said he couldn't do that. Then we, he got the first vaccination in Western Europe, and that's now been given to billions of people across the world protecting them. We've got the lowest unemployment for 50 years. He's ending the illegal migration uh, from Europe. He, he's led Europe's response to the terrible war in Ukraine. And today, we have the biggest cut, tax cut for decades. If he carries on like delivering that and we'll win the next general election. But you've got to sometimes think what's good for the country, and
8: what's good for the country is having someone in number 10 who isn't bogged down in trying to save his own skin rather than doing the things that need to be dealt with. Here we are talking about more than a third of the British people with cancer waiting more than two months to get their initial treatment. Prime Minister's not concentrating on that. He's not concentrating on the cost of living or many of the other issues that are so important to people. He's concentrating on his own survival. So maybe it is good for the Lib Dems if Boris Johnson stays, but, you know, the welfare of Britain is even more important than the
0: welfare of the Liberal Democrats. It's been a long old day. It's got to be time for a pint really hasn't it? And I'm joined by Steve Smith, founder of Poundland. Oh, Steve, to oh, to welcome. Well, to me. Now West Midland's lad done good. West Midland's bred them through, yes. Yep, but done good and come up with a concept of stuff that's cheap in shops and, and, and we'll come to that and the cost okay. of living crisis yes. and where we are. What do you, and I haven't asked you about your politics, I'm not going to ask you about your politics, so you can <laughs> yeah, volunteer. Yeah. What do you make of the shenanigans that are going on? What do the businessmen make of what's going on in Westminster in the last 48 oh, it's, hours?
7: It's just amazing what a, a day's, amazing what a day is made, really. And uh, it'd be nice to see what the outcome is, but uh, I'm
0: just amazed what's going on, really. Bit of a circus, isn't it? A little bit. It is a bit <laughs> of a Westminster circus. <laughs> sur- I, I think some people out there in the country are quite angry about it. Oh, yes, yes. Because they're saying you should be getting on with get, getting the Getting on with business, and
7: the business, is, you know, the, the country's a bit of a state at the moment with what's going on, the inflation and all that, so it's, uh, it'd be nice to get on with the job and rather than what's going on, really.
0: Poundland, the concept, you know, I know that your old man was a bit of a wheeler and dealer and a bit yes. of a trader, and this got you into it, and... It, I guess, but when you founded Poundland, a pound was worth a bit more money than it is today, wasn't it?
7: Well, it, the, the concept really came from a market store that me mum and dad used to work on, and my uh, mum and dad found they could make more money on the market store a Saturday than working all the week in the factory. And it was on this market store where um, anything that came out of his packaging we used to throw in a cardboard box and sold for 10p. And this box was so busy, it took more money than the rest of the store. And with the new pound coin being... Um, uh, re- reinvented or redesigned, yeah. um, my dad just said to me one day, um, um, my dad used to be in a cash and carry, from a market store, he grew to a cash and carry because he used to supply all the traders and that, and um, he, he opened a cash and carry in Tipton called Hooties after his nickname. And then from the cash and carry, my dad used to say one day, it'll all be yours, for a few years after he sold the business, and uh, said he was going to live in New and... Um, I, th- I was looking forward to it because we were going to do property over there, but the last minute my wife said, I don't want to go to Mallorca, I want to. Uh, I don't want to leave my friends and family, I want to um, I want to stop in the UK. So we went to Mallorca and my dad said to me, um, Dad would not stopping, he was gutted, and he said, what are you going to do then? And at the age of 20, because my dad was given a lot of credit in his cash and carry, I actually um, did a deal and bought a shop in West Bromwich. Um, and it was called Steve Discount Market. And this became my dad's biggest uh, customer. We took a million pounds. And uh, and I said, Dad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to open more shops. And Dad says, do you remember that cardboard box mm. with things 10p and with the pound mm. coin be redesigned? Mm. This is
0: why don't, why don't you I sell mean, things, things for brilliant. a pound? It was so simple. <laughs> yes. but it was brilliant. Yes. And you did very well out of it.
7: Well, we, we, came back to, for, for, uh, we came back from um, Mallorca in April 1990, and I thought it was going to be a simple thing to convince people what I wanted to do. But when I told people that we were going to open I want you to, a prime position shop and I want to sell things for a pound, people said, you're mad, it will never work. And it took us six months to find the first store in Burton-on-Trent, where the landlord was struggling. And with 648 products, we opened the first shop, and we took 13,000 on the first day, which was amazing. In. And then from there, no, it, you, I mean, you've done it,
0: it's <laughs> phenomenal. And, and, and people, you know, I mean, London forgets sometimes that there yes. are millions of people out there that do not have much spare cash yes. in their wallets every week and they want value for money. Yes. But the outlook for people is pretty tough now, isn't it? Going ahead, I mean, for retailers. It's going to be very difficult isn't it well, the next year or it's two?
7: It's very difficult for retailers obviously because the, uh, obviously we've come out of Brexit and that and um, a lot of the products uh, come from abroad and the Far East and that and the prices have gone up so much, I mean when I used to uh, bring stuff in from the Far East it used to cost us about £2,000 for a container, now, now it's over £20,000. Which, which is, uh, which is crazy, and also a lot of people forget we buy when we buy from abroad we buy in dollars. Now yeah, when I used account. to yeah, nurse a pound land it was yeah, one dollar, yeah. almost two dollars to the pound. Yes. I mean, I mean, a few days ago, one dollar fifteen to the pound. It's never been.
0: Yeah, a little bit more than that, but yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah, been yeah, below yeah. one twenty. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and that and that making a real, real difference.
7: Real difference on on the, v- I mean, for me, I travel the world buying uh, buying products, and you know, we even sold golf clubs for a pound at one time. But it makes but it. can't sort of, be much carb. It was branded <laughs> golf clubs from uh, we bought them from America. So I, believe I, <laughs> believe <you. laughs> I believe you. I believe you.
0: I believe you. Yeah. So I
7: so we'll travel the world finding uh, yes. Uh, finding the best products I could for value for money, and uh, but now it's it's difficult with inflation and the dollar rate and the transport mm. and, uh, and 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 people through through the covert getting people to work to make manufacture the products to bring them into the country.
0: Um, and what about getting staff in this country? That's increasingly hard, isn't it? Because five point three million yes. adults of working age not working. Yes, some on disability benefit, some just packed up and retired early. How do we get people working again, Steve? It, it,
7: <laughs> I mean, it's a passion of mine. Uh, 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 I mean, obviously, I've st- there was m- myself and my wife, Tracy, who started the business, and we grew it to, th- you know, to employ thousands of people. It's more and more difficult these days, because in my time, we had things like the YTS scheme, where we bring mm, a lot of mm, uh, mm. children from school. And I- I've got a massive passion for um, kids leaving school, because they get under pressure. They go to do the GCSEs, and everyone says, you're leaving school next month, what are you going to do? And most children don't know what they want to do. And I mean, I was looking on the market store because I followed my father and yeah. was able to have that career. Um, it is difficult with children these days and especially um a lot of kids and they were on the internet they're on the games
0: and they're working we've got to teach them trades and skills we've got to give them give them give them some ambition steve we? Well, this this is uh, i mean i spent a lot of time in china it was a bit different
7: to the government in china because they would decide we need you know next year we need 100,000 plumbers 100,000 yeah, carpenters yeah. and at school you had to train yeah. to i,
0: mean, I don't that. want to live in china but i get what you're saying <laughs> you know i mean, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean they come yeah. when
7: they come out of a, a
0: school, they they could do anything they want, but they, at least they've got, um, yeah, we've got a trade. Do. do you know what? We've got to do so much more of that. It's been a hell of a busy day. Thank you for coming in and Yes. With us. Congratulations. For, I mean, brilliant concept, Poundland. You've done incredibly well out of it. And oh, it's
7: amazing uh, from, a, uh, from a cardboard box and things for 10 no, I, I th- The market
0: place is now 5 billion. just mm-hmm. goes to show. <laughs> Just goes to show the simpler the concept, the better. Steve Smith. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you to all of you for being with me for the last couple of hours on this dramatic day. Boris Johnson digging in, no doubt, trenches being built around number 10.